Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, okay, listen now for the click track, everybody. Uh, and away we go. This is uh, track one. Take one, yeah. One, two, three, four. I'm Sonic Architect Adam and this is Before the Encore It's Halloween today Monday 31st of October How are you all? Thanks for tuning back in Um, As always really appreciate everybody Um, Tuning in to the Before the Encore podcast It's a podcast, if it's your first time here It's a podcast about um, the music industry as a whole um, Kind of outside of the lens of the artist Um, People who work behind the scenes Get their you know, their platform to talk to me about what they do. And that could be anyone from songwriters who aren't necessarily artists themselves to producers, to mix engineers, to managers, to people who work in PR for labels, to people who work for booking agents. It could be anybody and and anybody and everybody. Um, It's a wide, wonderful world and um, it's great to be a part of it. And it's, um, I've taken it upon myself to, be the person who bothers everybody to try and get them to speak about their job and everybody does so eloquently and um, this episode is no exception and uh, yeah I'm just really really grateful to everybody who's been on the pod so far um, everybody who's tuned in everybody who's kind of a devoted listener to Before the Encore I know there's um, there's a handful of you out there so I really do appreciate you guys listening in um, and taking the time to indulge me in what is essentially uh, an education exercise for me but hopefully an education exercise for um, anybody else out there who's looking for a bit more info on the music industry and who knows maybe you'll fall in love with something like I did and um, we really do talk about that in this episode so um, I'm not going to ramble on any longer I know I have a tendency to do that Um, just a quick one about the podcast 
before we go on it's uh before the encore if this is your first time listening like i said before the encore is a music industry deep dive podcast but it's also a uh, part of the no encore podcast network which um consists of a weekly podcast uh, dave and craig dave hanready and craig fitzpatrick two music journalists who met in the throes of their uh, early careers and have become uh, best pals really um since that time and you know I've, I joined the podcast a couple of years ago just as the uh, quote unquote Sonic Architect that's a given title <laughs> I'd like to clarify that it's not me calling myself that but um, yeah they um, asked me to join a couple of years back and I've had such a great time doing it and it's great to be a part of it as a listener beforehand but um, basically what it is it's a Friday show um, for those of you who don't know and may only be tuning into these episodes it's a Friday show goes in your feeds every Friday um, it's your roundup of music news should an album be pertinent to uh, the pod or be kind of a major album release the guys will do um, an album review and a top five shootout that is usually themed based on the week but um, can vary theme from each week um, it is a great fun it's always like I always find something new myself um, as someone who works on the podcast. So it is very, very um, fruitful for me, I guess. Um, so I would encourage you to listen, subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We have a Patreon as well. It's patreon.com slash noencore. This year, it's been a bit of a funny one. We haven't been as active on there as we would have been, you know, the year the year previous but um, we just posted a new No Ox Chord which is our recommends corner where I actually sit down on mic with Dave and Craig and we tend to do it in a very chill fashion we did it we've done I think all of them over Zoom so far and uh, we recommend five songs each and put a little playlist together so you get all of that as well as um, an advanced preview of what's due to come up in the episode um, by Dave or Craig each week. Usually Dave looks after that, but um yeah, and it's always uh, it's always a very nice read. It's like a nice little newsletter um just to the people who really, really care about the podcast. Um so if you love what you hear, please consider subscribing um to our Patreon. Make sure to hit subscribe in your podcast feeds wherever you might get them, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. Um but if you are unable to do that or, you know, doesn't kind of feel right to be doing that yourself I would please ask you kindly just to tell someone you think might like the show about the show um, send them a link send a link to a WhatsApp group um, Facebook group chat I don't know what do people do? is there TikTok Facebook I don't know I'm not on TikTok so <laughs> I'm very behind the times but anyway um, please do share it and um, we'd be forever grateful so um, that's my PSA before I get into the, the chat this month Um but this one is a very, very special one to me. I'd like to just say that up front. Um, it's one, it, it was the first name on my list when I started this podcast and came up with the idea. Um, and I'm surprised it's taken this long to kind of sit down and do this, given we only live 10 minutes apart. But um, yeah, very special. So um, I'm going to get into that now. This episode of Before the Encore is with the legendary Philip McGee, music producer and mix engineer extraordinaire, who's got a client list that's just incredibly long and incredibly fruitful. He's worked on multi-platinum selling records with Codaline the script, um, you know, the songs that really broke them into the public eye and the international eye. Um, he was in the studio kind of from the get-go with them. Um, he's worked with Miles Kane, Gavin James, Delta Goodrum, uh, Isaac Butler, Tim Chadwick, The Academic, The Blizzards, The Coronas, Stephanie Rainey, 
I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, in terms of corporate work, I know he's done work for Disney um, as well. So he's not kind of just limited to whatever he's doing in music world and production world. And, um, you know, he enjoys songwriting as well. I know he's working on some very interesting stuff right now. We spoke off mic about the stuff he was um, working on and he kind of let me into his, he let me into his, uh, his cash a little bit so I, I got to hear some samples and it's really phenomenal stuff I've been such a fan um, of Phil ever since I stepped into the studio with him and um, the reason like I said at the outset that this is a, an extremely special episode for me is because I feel like that in the studio Phil is where I first realised that production and you know is what I want to do Um in my musical journey I was in a band at the time and it's like everything else kind of just started slowly falling away after I stepped into the studio and it became very abundantly clear that this is the path for me um, so I, I feel like I owe a lot to Phil for that and also I think my first kind of production jobs outside of my band came as a result of that and we speak about that in the episode it really was like it was just such a lovely thing to do to sit down and have him on the pod. Um, you know, he was top of the list, like I said, and um, yeah, it was it was like it was quite emotional as well um, for me. And um, yeah, I I don't know, it was just a very very special moment for me, and I really hope it does translate because um, you know, obviously it's quite personal, but at the same time. Phil's work speaks for itself and I think you know like I said if you're in any way you know deep in the thick of the music industry and you're in I suppose pop music world um, you know, you're going to know Phil and his work and um, yeah I'm just really excited to pick his brain and learn about the past and figure out some stuff that I didn't know we've obviously had a great working relationship for a number of years now but I think it had been it had been a good long while since I'd seen him, and uh, yeah, it was nice to catch up and sit down and have a chat. So um, I'm not going to keep you any any longer. I'm going to dive straight in. So this is before the encore with Philip McGee.
I would say we're back to where it all started, but we're kind of not. It all started in the mill studios and swords, really. Um, but we're here in your kind of home-built mix outfit. My COVID sanctuary. Your sanctuary. Co- COVID sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> the doghouse. Uh, <laughs> Phil, thanks for coming on the pod. Um, as uh, as this is our second take of this, but as I was saying um, just previously, this is like, and I I would have said it in the intro too. This is a very important podcast for me. Um, a particular very important episode because I feel like that I owe a lot to you in terms of my entry into production world. Um, I think that I know you're shaking your head there, but um, <laughs> there is there is a lot that I owe to you because the first time I was ever exposed to the role of a producer and what I am now essentially doing for a living is was when my band back in the day, I think it was maybe 2015, mm. we went into the studio with you, and wow. it was our first time ever working with a producer. It was my first time ever kind of being exposed to like what that was and um. The the magic that came with it was just in the room from the second we stepped in, and that was like the immediate the f- kind of the fulcrum where mm. it it just kind of started to turn for me away from artist and into studio. Yeah. Um. So I just first of all I want to say thanks because realistically, if it wasn't for that moment and you were obviously a central part of that, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you now. Ah, stop it. Well, look, thanks for having me on the podcast. I love what you're doing with this, kind of explaining like the industry in a very rational, clear way yeah. to the industry and people getting into it. This it's, is it, it, yeah. it. It's so lovely. But yeah, no, look, you make your own look. You're, you're, you're always going to go down that path. And I think I remember, I remember ye, the, the band and yourself coming into the studio for the first time and kind of bright eyed and kind of going, whoa. Yeah. What does that do? What does that do? What does that do? What's yeah. this do? What's this do? And I remember you were, you're obviously the drummer in the band and you're a great drummer, but you're infatuated once you saw like the synths, once you saw like the Juno 106. Yeah, I remember. And, and, and tape machines. I remember the Juno yeah. kind of stood out to you or, you know, just different things there. Uh, There's a ton of synths and you were just kind of mystified and um, you're ducked to water really. And uh, you kind of got it, what, what recording was, what production was, what you're trying to convey in it all. Because I remember even one of, I, I remember the band, I thought you were great, but I also didn't think, I remember having a conversation with, with you and I didn't think you were original enough, possibly at one stage. That was, yeah. And I, then you you just went like on like a roller coaster. You you're like, <laughs> okay, you came back and you weren't a drummer anymore. Yeah. You came back as a pretty much the producer of the band, got into Ableton writing beats and writing everything and melody, like just you just went crazy and it was just like wow that was so cool and I didn't mean to be harsh when I was saying I don't think it was original enough I mean like I think this should be pushing boundaries a bit more as a yeah. band yeah, yeah. you know it, there needs to be something that is kind of hasn't been heard before within this kind of togetherness because these were a brilliant band there was great lyricists great everything you know great energy uh, and just went off for a summer and came back a completely different sonic entity. Yeah. But again, that's the that's the production manifesto. Do you know what I mean? That's what, what it was for you to be able to like say that and sit down and be like, that something needs to change. Yeah. For it to be 
you know, just to give it that injection of excitement. And that was exactly what we needed at that time. I had already been messing around with mm. DAWs for a very long time, yeah. like years since my teens. I remember messing with Sony's Acid Pro back in the oh, day. Wow. Yeah, like 8-bit DAW yeah. studio, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So um, I had been messing around with that and then I, I was on... Uh, there was a thing called Mixcraft, which I was on as well, which was purely recording. There was okay. I don't think there was any MIDI involved there. It was essentially like a fancy audacity. Yeah, yeah. And um, then I moved into FL Studio. Which I think it was eight at the time. I think they're on like 20 or something now. No And way. then it was Ableton 8, I got. And then you were gone. And then I was... That was your crack. I, yeah, genuinely, <laughs> once, once I hit Ableton, I f- it took me fucking years yeah. to get into that world and like try and figure it all out yeah but then it was like it was the school of YouTube yeah yeah from there from there on in and trying to kind of learn about uh, there was a massive knowledge base out yeah. there because there, you know it's a very versatile product which was originally actually built for live performances to yeah. the name Ableton Live completely but the, I'd, over the years the I don't know what it was I think it might have been the kind of because it was geared towards electronic musicians I think more so than anything else oh, when it came out first it was DJ music full stop yeah. I remember studying Ableton Live 1 mm. and it was just being able to a sequencer for controlling loops and yeah. that's all it was you're, you're hitting the different colour pods yeah pretty and much you're, and you're, yeah. you're throwing these two bar one bar loops into sequence and that's what it was it was like a it was like the Akai MPC kind mm-hmm. of in a, in, a, in a with a better GUI. You know, that's where it first came from for me when I was using it. So it wasn't a DAW. It wasn't a DAW. You couldn't yeah. record into it. But it was wild that it, it the people who were using it ended up figuring out ways to make it oh, one. completely, yeah. And like that to me, I think maybe subconsciously because I wasn't necessarily thinking in the, in the philosophical yeah. way of, of that at yeah. the time. But... I think that's it, it because it's it's almost entirely user led yep. as well, um, which has brought it to the you know behemoth that it is now, yeah. and like the the tools that I have to do my job mm. and have kind of learned over the years, of course, as well. Like you learn to do this, that, and yeah. the other, and you learn all your shortcuts and whatever. But um, you know, it's yeah, it's it really kind of enabled me to fall into that world. Um, that world when you know you told us to go away. Well, not go, <laughs> go away. away. Go, go away, you um, ruffians! <laughs> but like you, you kind of said, you made the suggestion. Maybe something needs to change here. We took that on board. Um, myself, it was myself and Chris Murphy that kind of did a lot of that electronic stuff because he had the sound training center background, yeah, yeah, yeah. so he kind of had the, you know, the engineering side. Yeah. Whereas I would have the. I don't know. I didn't necessarily have any formal or informal education really like it, I don't know I just, you learn by doing yeah um, exactly and that's something I want to get into it's no secret that you know you're one of the very highly regarded alum, alumni of the sound training centre from back in the day and I've seen through interviews how like you've really accredited a lot to your time in there yeah it was great just learning you know it's a like again with college I think most people feel like they're not getting enough from college. Anytime I talk to students or even when I was a student or I do an awful lot of guest lecturing now. Um, not an awful lot, but I do, like say three or four times a year, I'll go and do like master classes. And students, there's always this kind of energy kind of going, oh, we just, sometimes we're not getting enough from the college. Where I remember I was I was so young when I went to college because I, I 
I didn't finish school. Yeah. I went straight to college from, so I, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of school. <laughs> so I, <laughs> so, for, so for some strange reason, I had the opportunity to quit and go straight to college for right. some odd twist of fate. And I did that. And because I was so young and kind of green behind the ears, I just was like, oh my goodness, these people, these lecturers are like top engineers in the country. They're active engineers doing all these albums. Like, so I'm able to ask them anything. So I was mm-hmm. a real poindexter. I was such a nerd in there. So as Reminds I was in me college. Of, uh, someone I know. <laughs> <laughs> as he pushes glasses over Bridget Nose. Audio description. <laughs> um, so while I was in there, I would kind of just, you know, went through the classes. I was probably not the most academic, so I was trying to absorb as much as possible. But what really helped me was just melting the ears off the lectures mm-hmm. and then sitting in on their sessions. They'd allow me to be a T-boy, a tape-op, whatever, and sit in and watch what's going on and then running my own sessions. So having the facility there and the brains there and you being proactive to kind of utilise them was so invaluable, more than the actual, let's say, coursework. You know, just having that system there around you was just so cool. I just was like, so yeah, I, I loved college. So I was in sound training. I don't know. I'm really bad with dates and stuff, but like 20 years ago. Oh, I'm so old. Uh, but <laughs> when was it? 20, 2003 or 2002? Yeah, maybe 2002, 2003. And, um, you know, technology, what's fascinating about technology, it's gone on so fast this isn't, since yeah. then. But not not the, the, the essence of it and the essential bits. Like there was, we were using Pro Tools, there was DAWs. Ableton One was just out, yeah. or Ableton Live One. So nothing has changed just in the foundation of what they're hoping to do with some of these things. But what was also brilliant was I was at that kind of stopgap where I was using what is now vintage digital equipment. Yeah. <laughs> and on, on analog equipment. So yeah. all my first sessions, like all my first uh, recordings and albums were all on tape. Yeah. You know, so I was using 16 track tape and then 24 track tape and then moving to things called radar and Fostax hard, hard drive systems, which pretty much had the same, there was no computer screens, even mm-hmm. with those, mach- with the Fostax, you know, there was just the speakers in front of you and you just press, there's 24 buttons and you press which one you're going to record on. And then you press rewind and play. So it was like a tape machine. Yeah. And Which uh, I suppose would have really played into what your love was because I know that you were, when you kind of started out as a young, a young aspiring musician, you were like using dictaphones and tape recorders to try yeah. and just like play, play, rewind, record, play, rewind, record. I think most people are kind of interested in stuff like that. You know, when you first get to record yeah, like the a tangible set. things. Like, I think I'm just lucky with, you know, when I grew up, probably, you know, where I look at my own kids now, I've got like a, an eight-year-old and a, and a five-year-old and they're obsessed with Spotify and their playlists and mm. it's brilliant and they go, hey Google, play this, you know. And so for me, it was that classic old thing of recording songs off the radio and stuff like that and copying stuff. But I think what happened to me was my brother was big into illegally um, um, copying videos from ExtraVision onto other videos. <laughs> okay. So the, the classic technique was two video machines and yeah. a SCART lead. And so you would have your blank video in one machine, you press play on Peace Academy 3 and you'd record it onto your second video. And then it kind of clicked with me going, well, it records video and audio. It records left and right, it records stereo audio and video. So uh, I worked a way of getting just audio into the video machine and recording myself and then playing it back into a, to a scarlet to another video and adding another backing track and then going, oh, I've got a another overdub and I'd record 
with a dictaphone what's actually coming out of the speakers of the TV and balance where I was in the room where I did a little overdub of a blues guitar solo and I was like, oh, look, this is like a tree track. Yeah. You know, and then I'd get a keyboard off Santa at Christmas when I was a kid and start programming stuff on my little keyboard. So I just had that without knowing the, the idea of engineering sounds was there just out of complete um, fun and nosiness and there was no, I had no computers. There was, and um, I don't even know what software was around them, but I was just using cassettes and video machines and dictaphones. And so it gave me, a, I think, a really good understanding of of the basic theory of recording and uh, and even room placement. Because if I was too close to the dictaphone, my guitar would be overkilling what I just did earlier. So, you wouldn't so I'd have to else, move yeah. back. Yeah. You know, so it's that kind of almost like Grand Ole Opry, like three people around one microphone. And <laughs> yeah. if the banjo player is too loud, like, back off me you know yeah. the kind of way so I so from a young age I was doing that and um, I don't know maybe I was like 11, 12 doing that like every day so I had a good love for it and then I loved records when I was going to school as I said I hated school mm. so the only thing I loved about going to school was walking to school and putting on Walkman putting on the old Walkman yeah. now I had a Discman right on that, oh alright okay and I had a bit of ABS which is like anti-shock Oh, so when you moved around, the, the you moved CD around, it didn't, didn't jump. stop. Yeah, I yeah. know, mystifying, yeah. mystifying. So I had my had my CD player, and uh, my it was my mixtape CDs of all my songs, or listened to records, and I just loved it. So I always was fascinated with how they made albums, why they sound like that, mm. and when I say why they sound like that, like that kind of sense of space or room. Like I'd listen and togetherness too, togetherness. But you'd kind of listen and kind of go what kind of room are they in? Are they all playing together? What's going... Like, you'd always think they're all playing together. So I'd listen to like Stax Records as in, you know, Otis Redding and mm. Sam and Dave and Booker T and the MGs and I'd kind of go, wow, like, that's a huge room they're in. And then years later you see a photograph of the actual studio and it's tiny. And yeah. So I just loved that whole magic thing. And um, as uh, really, I, I was a guitarist and I wanted to be Roy Gallagher and that didn't work out. And uh, But I became infatuated with recording stuff. So... Yeah. Yeah, and then I had the opportunity, as I said, to go to sound engineering college, which was like, wow. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, your fascination with records, I, I think, is uh, is always a fundamental for someone who's in our world. Yeah. I think you need to have, like, an obsession. Um, tell me about tape to tape. Oh, tape to tape. Yeah. Shanahan. Beautiful. Uh, so <laughs> And the role that that had. Oh, it had a huge role. So tape to tape for all the listeners now. It was a record store in Swords, North County Dublin, just two minutes north of the airport. And um, <laughs> Really selling it to the tourist board here. Oh, it's well closed down. Um, so yeah, tape to tape was a record store. And it was my oasis. It was my it was my everything kind of. So I'd go in, again, no downloads, no computers. How do you access music? You go and buy the feckin' thing. So this is how you get music. So this was my, my drugstore. So I'd go in there and there was cool two staff members. There was the man who owned it because it was a fully independent record store and then a cool young dude who's working there as well. So as I said, school wasn't always my favourite thing. Hopefully my kids don't listen to this in the eight years' time when it's back on the internet. And uh, Oh, let's make sure we're still recording. Sorry, people at home. Yeah. And uh, so I used to go in there when I was Mitching off school, basically. So I'd go into school, <laughs> sign in in the morning, tell Miss Kelly I'm here for the day. Yeah, I promise I will stay for the day. 
and turn around, walk out immediately. <laughs> immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, double French necks. Yeah, <laughs> I'm more like to... a double fucking. No, I do double sixty spin. I would do double French, again. but I'd be listening to Django Reinhardt. You know, <laughs> so I'd, I'd go up to tape to tape and put on headphones, and they were really lovely to me and to let me listen to records, and I'd buy records. And uh, but what was very nice was actually my my principal and vice principal would often know where I was or pop up to me and say. You coming back to school today, Philip? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know. And, but they were both very cool musicians. Uh, Tony Keeling was my principal, and he had a show band back in the day well, right. called Tony Keeling and the Graduates. And, right name. And then Mr. Smith was the vice principal, and as far as I, and he was a guitarist. And as far as I know, I think he might have played in a band with him as well. But, okay. And they were two really cool guys. Um, maybe a lot of people didn't see that because they were just normal teachers but once you tapped into the language of music you know like I remember Mr. Keeling talking about going and seeing Jeff Buckley in Seattle and stuff like that and it's like wow they're really cool so I remember being up in the record store and you were just asking what am I listening to you know yeah. really good question a fundamental question to ask a kid who doesn't want to do something you go oh well I'm listening to you know Oh, well, whatever it was, John Coltrane. And he's oh well, try a bit of Miles Davis. You know, you know he's 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 really great. And you're like oh right, you know. So so, so you're still getting an education outside. Still of the getting education. An education. So they were really cool. Now I was a good student as well. Like I have to say, like I hated school, but I was very I was I I liked my teachers. I liked all the students. I didn't like the formality of being stuck in school. I think it just panicked me. I just hated being rigidly told to be stay there, which I think happens quite a lot of people. I was just very fortunate. I'd understanding parents and an understanding school and at a time where your parents weren't put in jail if that happened. So <laughs> all those things mixed together uh, were were fruitful for me. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I was never a fan of school. I found it traumatic at times, mm. you know, hate it. But, um, but anyway, the long question, that's, yeah, records. That's where I used to absorb all my records and I'd be buying all my heavy rock, heavy jazz, heavy everything uh, records. What was your selection process? How did you find what to find next well, outside of the, you know, being steered by your principal who was paying you a, a yeah, visit, you know? It's, it's it's really hard to know how we chose music before then. Yeah, um, was it like liner notes? Were you looking for the same people who were involved in records? Or never. I've never known who made records. I, I, For some reason, I'm still very unfascinated with who makes records. I'm more interested in the artists. Um, so in the record store, you'd obviously, you know, you'd have the big posters back then to say who, like, who's hot or not and there's yeah. the top 20 and all this and which rock bands have albums out so I would have been into rock and jazz and funk and soul um, le- it was the pop was far more commercial then or you know it'd be just you know boy bands and girl bands and the odd pop superstar but it wasn't as good as it is now the pop mm-hmm. I don't think but I'd be more into alternative music um, so yeah, I'd, you'd be just flicking through, you'd be looking at like cool covers and seeing what kind of genre you think they are and is this where I listen and, you know, you're just flicking through stuff and going, can I have a listen to that and just, you know, work it out. And then just word of mouth as well. I think if you're a fan of certain artists, you know, it'll lead you to a whole other world. So if you if you tap into Hendrix, which a, a lot of young guitar dudes do, all of a sudden you're like, oh, who's Janis Joplin? You know, who's this person? You know, who's Richie Havens, the guy who opened up for Woodstock, this, you know, this amazing folk singer, you know? And you, you kind of just go left and right and back and forward and all of a sudden you colour in the sketch of, of what's going on in that scene and you become kind of in it, you know? And uh, and I was big into trad, big into jazz, big into rock. And the same thing happened. You just go into each little level, like a video game, and you just learn that world and absorb it and uh, it's brilliant so when you're okay so you're out of school you're spending time 
I tape to tape picking your records, <laughs> listening to your records, being not so berated by your principal, which is yeah, very yeah. nice, I have to say. I don't so think so, I wasn't such, listening, maybe. Such a lovely sentiment, but um, you go into the sound training centre. The what, what you learned in the sound training centre, if I'm not mistaken, was engineering first and foremost. Yeah, I don't think there was such thing as production. When, hold on, it was called sound engineering. Oh, maybe, yeah, I think the course was called... Yeah, no, it was called Sound Engineering and Music Production. Okay. Was, the, was the title of the the course. Um, and it was a very wide and varied course. So the sound engineering was your, you know, technical stuff, talking yeah. about acoustics, and we'd use logarithmic books for working out stuff and all this things. And it was City and Guilds where the, the, the UK kind of uh, thumb stamp of uh, certification for the course, you had to go through all this kind of things, you know, and uh, sound engineering was fascinating, you know, I, I love that because it was that bring me back to my childhood of miking, rooms, yeah. acoustics, diffusion, like absorption. The fundamentals there yeah, already, just yeah. how microphone work, how the coil works, you know, is there a, a ribbon, diaphragm, is there what kind of, uh, is a cardioid, omnidirectional, all these things, you know, it's just like brilliant and really learning it and understanding why and how. And um, so that was fascinating and the same with understanding consoles as in uh, desks and studios from your the college was great I had had Neve and SSL consoles and so you're able to learn what the hell is going on here you know mm-hmm. with each channel strip and the signal flow of everything so I love that then the music production side I don't know how music production is really taught because a lot of it is kind of psychological this, but, yeah, this but is, this it would have been more thing, so it, it would have been creative music creation Creative music creation would be a better title, possibly. So you'd be shown what DAWs were. So Pro Tools was out at the time, Cubase. Uh, you'd be looking at samplers, Akai's, um, with your floppy disks and loading your 32 kilobyte uh, yeah. kick sample. <laughs> you'd be looking at drum machines. So, yeah, so it was more d- digital music instruments okay. and creativity. So that was fascinating as well. And then we were learning coding as well. We are learning C sound and stuff. There was a lecturer called Les Stapleton who was just on top of his game. And, you know, we'd be learning to, to write code for, for sound. You know, it was just like, what? Like this. So it gave you an incredible foundation and fundamental understanding of no matter what comes in the future, you kind of know the source of, of, of how it got there. So everything, again, that word signal flow, should be able to be rationally worked out. So if someone yeah. designs a new DAW in 20 years' time, you should be able to just hop on it and use it. It's not like, hey, this is new granddad. It's like, well, hold on. Like electrician, you know, nothing has changed in electricity in like 150 years. So an electrician from 40 years ago, he mightn't understand this new box you have, but he understands the, the theory fundamentals of fundamentals of how it all works. And then yeah. he'll learn how to use it. So it's the same with that. So it was a great understanding of how everything kind of worked. So, yeah, I, I just loved it. And I thrived in there as well. Like, uh, I just... Um, like as I said, school. I wasn't much of a studier, and then in college, I was just a bookworm. And at every recording, I used to do. I was there from sometimes I was there twenty four hours a day, and which sounds ridiculous, but I was. So college was at ten a.m. to four p.m., and then there'd be recording sessions from five p.m. to ten p.m., and I'd sit in and assist them. And then I used to get my own two sessions a week from ten p.m. to ten a.m. So I used to do an overnight session with young bands from ten p.m. to ten a.m., and then back to college for ten a.m. So I would do <laughs> like 24 hours uh, in, in college or 40 hours and I'd, I collapsed a few times and like getting lots of Mars bars and cans of Coke. And <laughs> so, so yeah, I just went, I went for it and uh, I loved it. I, I haven't really thought about it much, but yeah, I really loved it. Yeah, it speaks to, I, I mean, like in this world, you really have to have that passion where it's like, it, it, quite literally you eat, sleep and breathe yeah. that world. Um particularly for me when I found like just when I 
understood what it was, you know, and I, I got I got to see it. I got to see it tangibly in action when I stepped yeah. into that studio room and I would have always considered myself a bit more interpersonal than a band might let you be, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. So I think that was the impetus for me to just follow that, yeah. you know, chase that mm. high, I guess. Um, when it comes to, you you said like you're more interested in the artists um, over anything else, you yeah. know, over liner notes, over anything, even yeah. now. Um, that translates, I think, very well into the production world because that's essentially what you do. You work, you're yeah. like the conduit, right? You're the, you're the vessel. It. Yeah. Um, what, like, what are the fundamentals do you think for being a producer if there are any? Now, this is a very, very broad and maybe philosophical question, but what do you think is the, we, yeah. what's the, what's the, what's the core, you know, what's the foundation? It is philosophical world because you can change who you are and who you are d- yeah. determines what you are going to do yeah. as a producer on your level of caring. And that's not a positive or a negative, it's just what you are. There's different shades mm. of producers and what they're trying to do. So for me, my job is obviously to get the best out of the artist in a realistic way that showcases who they are in that time and space. Mm-hmm. So you're not trying to superimpose something different that isn't who they are. So you're trying to magnify who they are emotionally, integrity, like their songwriting and their performance. So when you're a producer, you're there as as like an extra member of that artist's band. You're there as as a, an ear to listen to what's going on inside internally in their brain. And then obviously you've got a technical job. You're there to to actually facilitate and create a product for them mm-hmm. that they're going to release into the world. And it's a creative product and then turns into a commercial product. So you've many hats from being like a business person to being like a tradesman, like a carpenter, and then a psychologist almost wrapped yeah, up into this world. Yeah. And, and that's not to say all producers should be that, but that's what I would do. And then some producers mightn't be like that. And that's and they get brilliant results as well. Like So we all do it in a different way. To We have to use our superpowers uh, when I say superpowers, I mean every human has like weaknesses and superpowers here. You're relying on your good stuff to pull the best out of out of people and to be there for them. And also to allow, a big thing for me is, is really on the emotional level, is allow the artist to be vulnerable. So when they're in yeah, the studio, key. Very key. they don't need to show face and be brave and strong and you know try and get through that day. You don't need them to get through that day. You just need, to, need them to be present of who they are. Because if you're making a record, you're really trying to you're capturing a moment in time. Yeah, you're a moment in time of who they are and what they represent and what their songs are. So it's important that the artist is allowed to be vulnerable, allowed to be themselves, and uh, you're there to nurture that. Uh, so that that means there has to be trust on on every level uh, to allow the artist to have that. And um, so that's a big part of the job. And then also making sure that you click together. So for me, like I'd never just jump in and do an album with somebody who no. I haven't met. No, it's and very, very important, yeah. Very I, important. But, but then some producers do, and that's part of the risk and the challenge, and that's what makes it exciting. So that's fine for me. to be. It'd be too panicky where I need to, you know, meet them up in their world, you know, like go to a rehearsal room or meet up in the studio, go through songs, listen to demos for months sometimes, yeah. and and do a song and see how it goes. Yeah. And maybe do an EP or a second song, and then you can commit... Um, and then a big thing for me is song selection. I think that's 50% of yes. production. I, yeah. I go on about it all the time because you can go to 
you know, best producers in the world and bring them a shite song, but it'll, it'll sound clearly shite. <laughs> you know, yeah. they'll make it shite. Yeah. But for me, like, song section is huge. So if an artist comes and if there's any artists I've worked with listening, they'll know how painful it is for, to bring three songs. I'm like, okay, let's get another 30, <laughs> you know? This is it. And you know, like, it, it's funny that you, you say that because... I don't know because obviously we were only doing singles back at the time yeah. that we were working with you and I'm just trying to like f- maybe put a retrospective lens on it versus where I am now so again we would have only been working with singles so maybe we would have sent you like five demos well what happened with you first was actually I think I I didn't produce you at the start I no, mixed had, yeah, a song for you, you did. Uh, yeah. that was produced by somebody else and and then you wanted to do a song and I think you sent me around seven or eight uh, and we demos did, I think, right and we, we did two songs, possibly. Yeah. I can't remember fully. But uh, yeah, it was two, I think we did. We, we would have filtrated and I would have went to rehearsal rooms with you yeah. and uh, gone into your world. Yeah. Uh, it's always nice to go into the artist's den, you know, which also, again, is kind of a maybe psychological thing to allow them to be in fully control. So they're not going into this but They're in the space where, they, where they're comfortable being yeah. themselves and they've, like, spent time and, you know they've poured their heart out a million and one times in this space already. Yeah. So it's like, it's the familiarity is already there where like, it's it's very different when it's just like, you, like you said, diving in head first and yeah. maybe that is part of the challenge. Let's be in the Gresham Hotel for coffee and talk yeah. about your music. Like, oh, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> no, it's, it's not, like with me now, it's maybe slightly different. I, t- I tend to try and, again, sometimes you're right, sometimes you're not. And yeah. I think that's important to distinguish as well. You can't take on everything. I think that doesn't, I don't think you learn anything by mm-hmm. doing that. I think that doesn't like help you develop. Sometimes maybe, you know, there might be an outlier, but I think as a whole, to be able to know when you're able to and not able to add value is key. That's, well, look, that's essential. Like that's that's even before you engage with the artist. That's where you say yes or no to actually commit to working because if you can't bring value to that project, and it's not your genre or not your thing or even you don't like the songs, you're not going to bring a lot of love to it. So that's where I'm, that's where I'd be really fussy. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, it's not even fussy, it's more of your own insurance policy because it's not going to be very good music if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, I don't think, for me it couldn't be, I just don't know because I have to do everything from scratch and I don't really have any, I have no real presets or templates or anything. I kind of just go in and feel it all out. And if I don't like the feel of it, it's just, oh, it's going to be a bit, it's gonna be yeah. Just to be something missing. <laughs> yeah, be shite. So that's where. So that's day one. Yeah, that's where you go and see if you click with the artist, your song wise, or just you know who they are. Yeah. Uh, it's good to work with good, nice people, and I have to say, like ninety nine percent of all artists I've ever worked with are just very sweet and lovely. You know, yeah. and it's important that they feel the same. Not that they feel the same, but you want them to feel comfortable. With yeah, you. there's a give and take. Again, that's why there's that process of just doing a single here and meeting up and connecting to make sure they feel comfortable with you. Yeah, but yeah. Also, it's like it's you as a producer trying to gauge the artist, right? You're not, it's not just a one way street. There's like there's there's two, two things happening, and you're just once, trying to you know? work out everything as well. Because as I was saying, the music is one thing, but then there's also the the business side of it as such that. You have to be able to deliver a product. You need to make sure the budget is correct. Make sure logistics, timing, 
when does this need to be out? Oh, you're getting vinyl. Oh, there's a six-month wait on vinyl, so that means you're looking out for the summer, but that means you have to have it done by November, you know, uh, <laughs> you know this kind of thing. So you have to, that's the other side of being a, a producer is you're a project manager, really. Yeah. So it's like you're a movie director and producer in one go, and you have to make sure everything is moving in the right direction and that you're communicating with the artist, the management, the A&R, sometimes the marketing team are on to you all the time. Mm-hmm. So you've all these people and you, ha- you have to remember your main thing is to be there for the artist really and yeah. not the rest but then also the rest make sure the whole thing works as well mm-hmm. you know like if, if A&R aren't happy with the songs and trusting them they're not going to put them on the record and they're going to do something else so you have to be there to be able to communicate with everyone and that's where it gets pretty tough I think all that kind of external business communication that happens so much where if you're just dealing with just songs a breeze <laughs> but there's so much communications and negotiation and conflict resolution and stuff yeah. going on as a producer so that's where you know it is a tough job in that sense look it's it's a fun creative job it's, it's definitely not as tough as a real real job mm. in some senses you know like a nurse or anyone but you know it can get a bit scratchy uh, in, in that world you know yeah because there's no it's funny there's no rules do you know what I mean there's no rule book there's no rule book and it's all you're dealing with people's personalities. So you might be dealing with someone who's aggressive, someone that, who's yeah. gentle. And most, and a lot of artists and, and, and producers are fairly sensitive characters. I'm, I'm, I'm a sensitive character. Um, but you also have to have a thick and a thin skin, I will talk about. So you need a thin skin to actually feel the music, to react to it, to be emotional, to cry to it, to, mm-hmm. like, to be really with it. But then you also need a slight thick skin because then all of a sudden everything you're doing has been judged and reviewed and condemned or, you know, thrown out or deleted and you're like, oh, Jesus, you know, you'd, you'd be rolled up in a ball like a hedgehog balling your eyes out. <laughs> so you need to create this really strange, you know, tick tin skin kind of uh, vibe. And it's just, uh, it's a difficult one to balance. But once you do balance it and, and rationalize with yourself and be present with yourself about who you are, your abilities and what you're striving to do, then you're able to get on with it with, 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 with much more ease. I would agree entirely with everything you said there. Like for me, and when it comes to my process, I'll always be the first to say, let's try some stuff out. Yeah. You know, if we're in a situation where it's like, let's flesh out a demo, there's a demo there that's maybe like, you know, two thirds done, half done, whatever. Yeah. The vibe is there. It's nice. It could be an artist that I've been working with for a long time, yeah. or it could be someone who's new, but I'm just really connecting with it. Mm. And uh, the first thing I will say, and it's always the same, I will say, let's try some stuff out. You have full control 
I will. I can only like nudge you. Yeah, yeah. In you know, I'm tr- I'm like the f- fucking those rails down the bowling alley. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bumper just, bowling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the bumper is <laughs> yeah, yeah. on each, either side, just trying to make sure you make it to the yeah, end yeah. and hit the pins. That's it. That's what. That's what I, my mo that's is. A lovely one. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm <laughs> just there to try and make sure that whatever the artist leaves with. It's something that they can stand over, and something that, yeah. I, and, and I feel you like, as well. but I feel yeah. like if that's what happens, I'm able to stand over it by, exactly. by proxy, you know. So it's a, it's a, it's maybe, you know. Well, the, other, the the artist has to give you a certain amount of trust because at the end of the day, they have come to you for a very specific reason. Yes, and they they either like the character that you are, the work you've done previously. So there's expectations. And there needs to be realistic expectations of what you have done in the past and what you can do for the artist now in the present. Yeah. And so there is, artists will will give you trust and won't question as much, but allow you to push them in certain directions that you feel really might motivate or really help them as an artist. And that's the beautiful part of it. Like that's that's where you're you're making lifelong, you know, music family yeah. uh, out of this you know and it's a you know because it is a, it's just a mad old journey you know I'd say there's no rules it's the wild west it really of. is yeah. so as, as I see <laughs> kind of as I see kind of I don't know how you say it but as I see like organisations or different things trying to push kind of like terms of engagement and what you should and shouldn't do it's almost like a lot of that is just be a good person and stand up for yourself obviously if there's any you know skullduggery going on but it's so it's a person-to-person interaction. Mm-hmm. You know, it isn't like going into Tesco's and how you should d- treat a customer. Sometimes you want, some people want a producer if you're like a punk artist to be screaming and shouting at you. Now, I can't do that, but like, yeah. so, you know, you're they're all completely different characters. So as an artist, you need to do your research and then I'll also make my artists do work, like I'm sending them off and come back with 10, 20, 30 songs if I'm going to work you're going to work too like yeah. let's do this let's make something special yeah. so what is a producer God knows but you're there to to facilitate help aid assist and and guide through a journey uh, of getting music from from creation to consumption final product yeah um, you mentioned stepping into like the artist layer and you mm-hmm. know being with them and you know even rehearsal rooms with a band and yeah um, seeing how that kind of develops that's like I think traditionally pre-production right yeah that, uh, so yeah. what it, my question on the back of that is and it's something actually I've been thinking about because I'm just looking at you know some stuff for research and you know going back and thinking about producers like Brian Eno Rick Rubin yeah. uh, Daniel Lanois all those guys they would have done the exact same thing stepped into the room because they would have ma- mainly been working with bands who all record yep. live right um, that is not necessarily the same for me but it got me thinking of what the importance of pre-production in the modern era is mm-hmm. when you're not necessarily working with that live outfit anymore completely it's changed an awful lot for some artists and for some genres and for some it hasn't. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's just about engagement and making sure you understand the roadmap of what's going on for how you're going to create or co-create and get this done. So, as I said, a lot of times if I'm working with a band, traditional band, uh, going to rehearsal rooms, hear the songs in, the, in in their trashiest way and see why is this energy so good? What's happening when they play together live? And 
hmm, how do we capture this? And do we want to break this down and record it separately? Or do we want to just record it completely live? And what's the song? What's the singer actually saying? I can't hear him on the demos. Let's stand mm. beside him in the rehearsal room. And, Jesus, is that what the guitarist is actually playing? Whoa, that's amazing, you know? So pre-production is really cool. It's just like listening to her music with, with HD ears and and then being able to treat them like garage band and go, okay, cool, cool, cool. See that middle eight there? Uh, can can you do that twice but the second time around can you sing the second verse lyrics over that middle eight mm. that'd be really really cool but like down an octave can we try that so you're not even on a computer moving things around you're actually it's happening in real you're time you're camping in a real room and then all of a sudden the drummer will do a different fill and the bass will do this little thing and you go oh my goodness that's amazing or you might have I might have a guitar in the room with them and just do something really simplistic and simple to build tension you're like okay we're on to something so that's that kind of, I don't know, it's already production really in that sense. But So that's in that sense. But what happens more and more nowadays is artists will give you a shit hot demo mm. or sometimes a, a shit demo, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and what you do with the shit demo is going, well, can you do this even more raw, just into your iPhone, just acoustic guitar and vocals or whatever. Or, But with shit hot demos, you're like, okay, there's so much good energy in this. Let's not recreate the wheel. Let's absorb this, use it and expand upon yeah, that add to it, yeah. and so that's already like at a pre-production level even phone calls you know, FaceTime Zooms meeting up for coffee it's all the, the starting point of creation uh, to get where you're going to go but your job is not to have any ego about it to kind of go well look they're really shit at what they're doing they're just missing a few angles here you know, I think I can come in and really help I don't need to assert my, my prowess and go from scratch and go no we need the drums to sound like this or yeah, the beats yeah. so it's kind of it's just being a uh, collaborator and um, seeing where you can go as a team with it so that's another form of pre-production uh, and then sometimes like uh, I might be in a writing session with somebody and I like so I like to do writing sessions without computers as much as possible so I'll go into just the live room I'll set up a PA like a rehearsal room and we'll all grab an instrument and I'm a big fan of trashing out the whole arrangement, even if it's an electronic song or a pop song or whatever. I, I like to be able to get the full arrangement without touching the computer because all too often I'll move things around and go, okay, we'll double this section, double this section. And it still doesn't feel 100% right, but you're kind of telling yourself, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But if you're actually playing it live, even if you have a drum machine and a few synths and keyboards and a bass and you're doing it live over and over for like four hours the arrangement will actually write itself to show mm-hmm. its natural arc of dynamics. So that's another thing I like to do as well in in a kind of a writing room uh, situation of a song. And then you go into the control room, go into the next room and go, okay, let's put that down because we remember, we all remember it. There's not even like, what do I do after the second course? It's burnt into your brain. Yeah. Yeah. And then what you have there is a really strong structured dynamic and song. Um, so yeah, pre-production falls into so many ways or sometimes it might be just through email to start off with because I might be on a project for a few months and go okay love to work with you um, I love this song you sent me it's really cool can you keep on sending me more let's have a Google Drive and keep on sending them because I love listening to demos like I'll listen in the morning before going for a walk or whatever I'll listen to a bag of demos and I'll you know keep on absorbing and write very crude notes so I'll have my notepad on my computer and I'll have the band whatever Flower Pot Men and have their 40 songs that's a made up band name by the way <laughs> actually I think that was the original name for uh, Spinal Tap wasn't it or either Status Quo or something anyway, and I'll have all their song titles sense, to be fair, yeah. I'll have all their song titles like maybe 30 songs and I'll just go through them all and I'll also say like oh the middle eight and song eight is amazing mm. verse chorus terrible in my own handwriting <laughs> no one would ever see 
it. And then I'll check out, oh, that middle eight might sound amazing in song two. And mm-hmm. let's see if that works. Let's get them to redo it instead of me trying to tempo change and make it sound all weird. I'll just go, can you do that for me if you don't mind? Can you play that song? But put in this middle eight and then do so that yeah, and send that it back yeah. to me. Like, yeah, cool. So there'll be alternative versions of songs. So it's a filtration process. Yeah, there's a there is a lot with of a lay- pH. Yeah, there's a <laughs> very good, very good. I think I found my soundbite anyway for the episode. Um, d- there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of kind of bits and bobs that, and, and a lot of moving parts. Um, especially when it comes to things like that, and you're like constantly trying to rearrange the picture to make something new. Yeah. And uh, I think that's amazing as well. It's like taking. Okay, what have we written for a course at the moment? Okay, that's a pre-course now. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go bigger. You know. Oh shit. Um, <laughs> so you know stuff like that. It's it's like it's a constant. It's it's like problem solving. You know, it's like you're you're doing a puzzle. Or problem causing. The amount of artists I've said to like like you know kind of gone right. Yeah, that co- that course sounds like a pre-course. Can you write a new course? And they're like, what? <laughs> What? <laughs> and I, I think I've been, I think I've lost jobs because of that, yeah. uh, which is fine. But like, I remember kind of just going, yeah, no, it just doesn't hit, you know, because you're writing a big sounding song for a big stage. It isn't mm-hmm. like a, a sad banger or an anti chorus song, you know, but your chorus isn't still not a chorus. It's still not yeah. punching the message home. You know, it's just not connecting yeah, you're, you're at all. Eight, you're 80%. It's yeah, not but everything else is really yeah. cool. So there's positivity there. It's really, it's really great. But I just feel like we, we need to modulate somewhere differently. And yeah. that's where you see with an artist if they're willing to, to, to work hard, push or retreat. Yeah. You know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a fascinating one. And it's, it's again, 98% push hard and work hard or, or kind of go, no, you don't get it, dude. And like, all right, show me. You know, kind of way. I go, okay, mm-hmm. I hear you. I hear you. You know, it's just that I'm not the behold. Like, I, I don't know everything. I'm just saying, my point of view, I'm not yeah. feeling that for some reason. All the other stuff I feel, but not that. Yeah, you're in the room what to perform I, that yeah. function, to do that. That's you, it, to, yeah, to, exactly. You really, you know, just kind of... To question and, yeah. you know, and assist. See what happens when the, art, like, when the artist is, quote unquote, their back is up against the yeah, wall, you know exactly. what I mean? And see what they do, how they react. Such a weird job. It really is, yeah. <laughs> like you say, it's conflict resolution, but it's also like... Conflict all you're, Yeah, you're, you're the sole cause of the conflict sometimes. Um, when it comes to the familiarity on the production side, mm-hmm. like obviously with, you know, there's the quote unquote demoitis is almost yeah. like a real medical condition. Oh, it's real. At this point, um, for anyone who doesn't know de- what demoitis is, it kind of speaks for itself really. It's a case of if you listen to something in the same way, I think it's five times. <laughs> It, but there I, I think there, there's actually like, I, there, I read an article oh, on really? this. It's like a, there's a scientific thing. They did studies yeah. with it and stuff. But um, yeah, I must dig that out again and send it to you. But it's uh, five times. I yeah. think you listen to it five times, and that's it. That's how it sounds to you forever. Yeah. Anything else will sound ro- not wrong, but it will sound different. So when it comes to you listening to demos, right, yeah. and you're trying to then impart the production process onto those demos yeah how do like do you find the familiarity inhibits the process sometimes <sighs> or can it has it, does it have the to potential clear, to yeah you just need to clear the cache in, in your head you know your, your, your web browsing cache mm-hmm. and come from again I, I use the symbol of like swapping hats from being a producer to a music lover to a musician you know, to just the everyman, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, so, so you're saying are you talking about with the actual demo artist itself? Yeah. So, like when it comes, like obviously with the artists, you know, they've made a song in their own way in yeah. their own world, and it's that's their song. Then you know what I mean. Even if it is at the demo stage, that's how it sounds to them. Yeah. When it comes to you, yeah, you receive that. How does that work for you then in that process? Because it is hard to change hats sometimes. Yeah, it's really I, difficult. I don't know. I think within a few milliseconds, we all know if if it's if it's killing it for you, like if it's good, and who knows what that is. But mm. you know, you just you put on a song, you press play, you're like oh, this is good, you know, or oh yeah, it just has a potential, you know, the kind of way. Yeah. So I think I don't know. It's just the internal algorithm that you've built over years of of feeling it, and. My originally my main job was just actually just listen to chords and melodies and lyrics and piece that together. But as demos are getting better, you're also there as a reviewer to kind of go, "Who is this? Is this a good recording as well?" Like we were saying earlier, remove all ego and kind of go. I've actually had it before with a band where they they played me a demo and I'm like, "Yeah, it's done. <laughs> you don't you don't you don't need me. You know, yeah. the mix is a bit shit, yeah. and I can assist you with that, or you can go somewhere else. But um, I don't need." to be a producer on this you know or sometimes I've come and listened to a song go again this sounds brilliant but the vocals need work you know and nothing to do no fault of the singer you know it just needs a producer to really guide them through the journey of, of, of the vocal you know and do that and a mix so you're really you know you're listening straight away and you're just losing all like you're not thinking about work you're not thinking about anything you're just going is this is this great or not is it a great song and then is it a great production and why and how and what are you going mm. to do about it all? So yeah, you just listen to it with complete open ears, open honesty as a music lover and just feel it out, you know? It's as simple as that. Uh, and again, a lot of you times... Say, you say simple. Sometimes it's, you know, well, it's simple it can when, be a bit... Can, I don't know, I find sometimes myself it's like slightly more complicated and like it... Again, I'm getting fucking very big picture philosophical here. Go but for it. It's like... I don't know. Sometimes you might hear something and there's like, there's a moment and, you know, you're trying to see how that, like you can kind of bring that one moment because it might not necessarily be in the rest of the song yet. Yeah. But you know that that's the potential for it to be there. And it's just that, again, you're like doing those maths in your head trying to figure out how to get there. So, you know, it's, it, it can't be taught, really. So what it is, it, again, it's about your own musicality or non-musicality and your production skills and over time of how you reach something. So again, some people will listen to a song and go, okay, production sounds great, everything sounds really good in this, but why the feck are you only doing that post-chorus, that hook, which is the main part of the song, why is that only once? Mm-hmm. And why aren't you singing that as a melody? And why isn't that the intro? And why isn't there you know, a variation of that over the last chorus with a counter-stop and a counter-melody? You know, So that's depending on who you are as an individual. So say, some producers, we all have different skill sets. Some are phenomenal engineers and they become producers. Some are phenomenal musicians and they become producers. Some are phenomenal DJs and they become producers. Some of them have all those assets and put together. And you look at famous producers in time, like, again, I'm really bad at knowing who producers are, but like say, Rick Rubin was always a childhood love of mine. Mm. Um, he made records I loved. And as far as I know, he can't play, he can't sing. Uh, he, he just it trusts his gut implicitly and that's it. But what that means is he'll make a great record, but he won't be able to possibly, like, if you listen to this, Rick, don't give out to me, but like, I presume the process is slower because he might be able to say, why are you going to A minor 7? It sounds a bit jazzy. You can just go straight to an A minor, mm-hmm. then to G, go to C, make a really stock, do this. And, you know, he might, he, he might just go, that doesn't feel right in that section. Mm-hmm. And he's right. 
but it's trying just, to... It's the language. It's the language, but then but then also by him not giving much detail, it can also lead it to go somewhere very magical and special as it does do with him. So it's not a wrong way. Definitely not a wrong way with him. I love the man. You know, he's one of my yeah. uh, icons that I look up to. But um, we all have a different way of communicating and how we communicate just from our knowledge base, from our experience and how we build that. And that's your, you know, your algorithm that you build internally is based upon past experiences and in love of music. It's your childhood love of when you hear a record and why it excites you and how do you inject that into new music that you're working on? Like, where does that thing blow or where does it get really sad and emotional? How does that, how do you do that? Um, you know, I don't think it is fully taught. You, you can teach you know, software, you can teach musicality, you can teach engineering, but the rest is all fairly up to you to work out how you want all that to be perceived in songs that yeah, you're working on. It's, I think it's like knee-jerk reaction sometimes. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, uh, oh, I'm hearing this and uh, this, uh, just try it quick, you know, and it's like, you know what I mean? You're yep. kind of like, oh, immediately, sometimes it comes immediately and that to me is just like it's such a rush yeah. for me when I hear something that just like yeah. I immediately connect with and it's just like oh right um, this like you say about like the middle eight why aren't we doubling that and why aren't we like yeah. putting doing like a layer of vocals underneath the B section and yeah. you know but it's also a callback to the intro vo- do you know what I mean yeah. so it's just like you're it, when it catches you like that it really is just invaluable stuff. But you you talk about the musicality side of it. This this is something that I, I think I don't know if I struggle with it or not. I feel like there's a bit of an imposter syndrome um with me that I have myself, um, because of my lack of musicality. I certainly had it more in the previous years, mm-hmm. you know, when I kind of stepped in first and I'm like, I don't want to be a fucking producer. And, oh, you know what I mean? And like, <laughs> I'm going to just fucking do this when all I could really do was play the drums, but I taught myself how to play the drums. So I had no rudiments, right? Yeah. I can't play keys. I can't play guitar. Yeah. I can't play bass. Well, I say I can't. I can play extremely. Everyone can play bass. Apologies to all the I can't humble. do this. I can't do this. I can obviously play bass. Yeah. No, but like no. It, it, in general, like even with keys, since whatever, like I find that I can't. Like I, I find it very hard with like chords and inversions and like mm. progressions, keys, stuff like that. But I'm quite. One thing I know I'm really good at is drums. And I'm really good at sound design. Yeah. And those two things I know I have in my back pocket so I can make everything else work so for me. Why be good at the other stuff then? Is But my question, I always, again, I said this word earlier, superpowers. And I was talking to all the new students in BIM there recently and I was like, you know, yeah, try and be as best as possible as a person, as a producer, an engineer, musician, whatever you are. But really lean into your superpowers. Lean into yeah. what you're good at. Yeah, yeah. And I don't. I, and I'm not really a big fan of trying to enhance your weaknesses. You're just too balanced and bland. Then it's like, <laughs> you know, honestly, I don't. I, I yeah. You I, tip the scales, I suppose. And I rarely, way, yeah. I rarely enhance my my uh, my negatives. <laughs> my, my whole thing is trying to enhance the superpowers that I do have, which which make me different. Yeah. And really push on them. Mm-hmm. You know. So I'm shockingly bad on, on piano as well. Like, but I actually don't practice because. I know people who are really good on piano, but I'm really good on other stuff. And I'll this just leave it. it and I'll leave it be. And what you're talking about, you're, you're, let's say, like what you see as limitations. First of all, when I'm talking about music, when I'm doing a mix, the most important thing for me is 
that I can groove to it and the top line melody. Mm-hmm. And you're saying kind of like, yeah, they're my only two like superpowers. I'm like, well, that's, <laughs> it. that's everything. That's a record, baby. Well, <laughs> the rest yeah. is like hundreds and thousands. Well, well, when it comes to mixing as well, yeah, it's like, you're really like... And t- creation though. Yeah. I, I know I said mixing, but it, you want to be able to dance and groove to it and uh, hum along to it. And that's, yeah, exactly. the, that's the top line and the rhythm. Something and, that you go away wanting to listen to again and again and again and again. And like, that's the... I, there's... <laughs> <laughs> while there's no fundamentals necessarily in the world that we're in, it's a very strange and mystical and wonderful world um, mm. with a million and one peaks and a million and one pitfalls. But like, I think the crux of it is it's something that you want. You, you're making music that you like to listen to. I think that's, there's not much else you can and you also got really what you hang your hat on, you know. You only have what you have, so where's where's the point in berating yourself about it? Yes, like, this is the thing. I would have done it. I would have done it at the start, and I would have been like, I need to do all yeah. of this, but I fucking don't, right? And the best part about it is, it's like you you you, you talked about building like that musical family, yeah. and that network of mm, people. Yeah, it's being able to like, and I fucking love being able to pick up the phone and say. I have this song I'm working on. Would you like to come in and play guitar on it? Would you exactly. like to come in and play keys, bass, uh, BVs? You know what I mean? I've got the, I've got those people who I know can get the thing. Do you know what I mean? Who can like realize the and idea that I have? The, here's the thing, Adam, and it makes a better record because the more humans' brains are interpreting what's going on on the song, the better. Can it's imagine, a musicianship. Yeah. So if you're if you're the one stop producer you know and if I produce a song and I did everything on it okay hopefully it sounds really good hopefully I'm proud of it but if I get some of the other cats on it playing all their parts you know it's going to fuse differently and no doubt it's going to be better I feel you know Mm. if you have a a separate bass a separate guitarist you know like it's a luxury to have and if you're able to do that luxury I think you're making a better record uh, no matter what genre or what it is so having having some limitations where you're not bringing to everything is a blessing in a sense because yeah, you're not this, you're not this one stop shop you know like you know killer piano player and you can program everything and it's just like ah yeah but then uh, you know it's just like when I hire when I get session musicians they, like I'll never tell them what to do in the first pass or the first few passes yeah. like so if I'm hiring like a 25 year old bassist that fella has like 12 years of bass experience of of like naturally kind of Feeling, feeling off it so you just do your thing and then as a producer I might go wow see that thing you did what you done I want more of that or can you simplify here and do this and do that but you're using their innate musicology yeah. uh, uh, on a song musicology music that's the wrong word musicality musicality yeah thank you <laughs> um, uh, yeah see I didn't finish school remember ah uh, listen going back uh, to the start of the podcast it, it's it, <laughs> Like it, it's just I don't know it, I think what I'd like to hammer home as well is that like there's no real restrictions of entry into this world I, there's a lot of people there's a lot of young but yeah exactly and there's a lot of young producers and people who are like you know students of uh, production or songwriting in BIM and stuff like that I, I know that there's a lot of kind of people in their early stage stages who listen to this podcast and it's great and I love that 
important. It's something I just kind of want to hammer home as well. And I think that something that you echo now is there's no real restrictions to entry. Um, it doesn't matter really what you do. You know, if you feel like if I think if you're kind of struggling being like, I don't know if I want to be in a band, but I'm a people person. I want to work with music and like I really like the creation of records. And, you know, I want to you, you feel like you could kind of stand over a more long form thing I think that's like maybe try it out maybe like work Completely. with maybe work with someone that you know whatever but I think the restrictions to entry are so minimal and it's phenomenal because it means that more great music is getting made Completely well the only restriction is yourself because nowadays with with the internet with uh, TikTok and YouTube and all that it probably is a little it's it's technically easier to get into it, but also scarier to get into it because you're seeing Charlie Poots and everybody who are like, here's a song <laughs> in, in four seconds and you're it? like, yeah. Yeah. that is the nicest thing I've ever heard in my life. Oh yeah, shit. Uh, so it's quite intimidating possibly. Because, and then, you know, if you're in Sound Training, BIM, Pulse, you're, you know, or UL or Cork School of Music, you're surrounded by like unbelievable musicians and, mm. and um, almost producers. So it's like, Again, that can be intimidating, but that's where you need to set that aside and kind of go, I'm not here to be intimidated. I'm here because I actually love music. I want to create music or I want to guide other people's music. And I think I'll be okay at that. And I'm going to give this a bash. Let it be that you're a musical genius and let it be that you're not. It makes no difference. You know, there's so many brilliant producers out there in the world that can't play a single instrument, can't even work a desk, but what they're able to do is encourage and support musicians and get the job done, you know, and you might have to hire people or have people around you to aid you. You might need an engineer or you might need an arranger, depending on the style. You, you know, you might have a, a love for gaming music, but you're not a musician. Mm. Like, what do you do? Like, what, what you, you might have to learn some fundamentals and then work with arrangers and do different things, but you have this vision for stuff you know like well I want the music to be like this one. you know that is a form of production you mm -hmm. know in its own way so you know you just follow your own path your own heart and for me a big thing in college was it doesn't matter how normal you feel or unnormal you feel it makes no difference because sometimes you kind of you know I was listening to a lot of like commercial music and I think a lot of students be like why aren't you listening to Aphex Twin <laughs> and I was like alright or like I wasn't big into Radiohead's and Rainbows you know, yeah, you, know yeah. just, uh, you know I'm a bit more classic song structure type kid and um, I wasn't going to pretend I was into that and go oh yeah it's really good I'm like nah I think it's shite you know <laughs> you know and and that's fine and just talk about it but just be you which can be difficult when you're when you're when you're young, well, it can be difficult at any age. But uh, yeah, no, I think it, especially in the early days, like I said, there was more of an imposter syndrome. And it's like, what the fuck am I doing here? And I was kind of having the whole moment mm. of I'm also still in this band, but I'm starting this, and I really like this, and I'm maybe falling out of love with the other side. And you know, it's um, yeah, it just changes your perspective. Um, it changes your perspective a little bit on things and um, well the imposter syndrome might happen at a certain stage but then you do need to rationalise with yourself and kind of yeah, go of course. Well, look what I've just done I've made a song or been part of a song that other people have enjoyed it might have commercial success or not but other people have enjoyed it and that's fantastic so mm. that means I'm rationally okay at what I do mm -hmm. so then that should be able to null out absorb and eradicate the imposter syndrome if our brains are fully rational, which they're not. They aren't. But, yeah. And as Irish people, I think we tend to be a little but, bit harder on ourselves than as, most other people. But. As, as much as you can rationalise the, the, the evidence that is that is true, 
to get rid of this fake irrational negative stuff mm-hmm. and let them them absorb each other. Uh, it'll it'll lead to a, a brighter and happier future in your in your music journey. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> here's to hoping. Um, That's like Doctor Phil. Oh my god, <laughs> Doctor Phil. Yeah, Dr. quite Phil. literally. <laughs> um, I want to talk about some of the more uh, commercially successful works that you've been involved in, um, because it's no secret you've been involved in some really great records over the years. N- no least, Codeline's entire discography, pretty much. <laughs> Um, you've worked with Script, you've worked with U2, you've worked with a million and one Irish acts that everybody knows. I think that if there's any like big Irish band, they've probably worked with you at some point in their career in the last maybe well, 10, you, 15 years. Well, if you stick around long enough, you get to see everybody walking in and out, you know? <laughs> well, if, if, <laughs> if you're in a bouncer at a nightclub, you get to meet everybody, you know what I mean? That's fair enough, actually. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. No, it's, it's funny because even I, I've just finished um, mixing a record for the Coronas and in... And in every kind of if like no, but with art if there was articles about me in, in Irish kind of stuff, it'd always say like Philip McGee, you know, like Code Line, Script, Coronas. It would always have me that I've worked with the Coronas. I never even met them. I didn't I've never <laughs> worked with them in my life. You know, and so it was it was great just me and Danny Danny Finally. Danny from the Coronas, like, oh my goodness, all those credits are technically true now from the past. <laughs> you know? Full but circle moment. It, it yeah. is do you know what it's, it's probably one of my biggest joys in life is that I've been able to work with so many brilliant Irish artists. I'm fairly uh, I love Ireland and I love Irish music and I always have like Growing up from listening to them, Rory Gallagher, Horse Lips, Phil Lynch, Tim Lizzy, mm. you know, Van Morrison, it's just, it's, it's, you know, I just love it. Um, so to be, to be part of that means an exceptional lot to me, you know, and to be able to see these artists kind of like move on and like, you know, to see their journey and be a part of it. I don't know, it's really special and it's lovely. And what's really nice is as you go on that course, you, once you take your head out of the industry nonsense and what's cool and what's not and this and that, you actually get to meet all these like bands fans or you get to talk to like, you know, like uh, like a mechanic and go, geez, I really love that band. And like some person you'd never thought would like music was mm. talking about a song Something you did or I was helped, talking to a fellow yeah, recently. Made, I, yeah. I mixed uh, Tumper's uh, latest yeah. record and this guy who does not look like he's in the heavy rock, you know, he looks like an accountant was chatting to me. He's like, on that record, like, is my everything. And I'm like, what? You know what I mean? He goes, yeah, thank you. I'm like, oh, well, no, I didn't, like, whatever. You know, it's just so, I don't know, it's just been an absolute, uh, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm really excited and I'm super excited about all the new Irish stuff coming up as well at the mm-hmm. moment. But yeah, working with Codeline, Script, all that, it's great. Because even there last week, there was a, I had a few songs and there was one by Wild Juice, there was a Codeline album, there was a Coronas album, there was a True, uh, True Tide single, all out in the same week. And I was just like, holy, you know, like, mm. this could be dangerous for an ego. This is this yeah, is, this is terrible had, stuff. I've had those moments myself where like, <laughs> I think there was like one, obviously, it's I like always talked about milestones as like a thing, you know, yeah. even at the start of the podcast and myself and uh, Cormac actually, I think spoke about it on our episode and um, I think Siv as well, another producer who I'm a, I'm a massive, massive fan of. Um, when we spoke about milestones, like one of the first ones I had was always being like, I'd like a Spotify playlist. Yeah. And then, okay, I got a Spotify playlist. Maybe I'll get New Music Friday. There was one week where I had three songs on it. Boom. 
Fucking hell, like it, and, and, following week none. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> boom. Six months, six months <laughs> yeah, of barren yeah, land. Yeah, yeah exactly. That. But no, like it, it is, it, it is phenomenal to see, like when you get that rush, and you know, it's, it's, you see the fruits of your labor, I guess. But it, to go back in just a little bit, it's the creation of the records I really want yeah, to yeah, speak yeah. about because, mm-hmm. um, I suppose one of the, one of the questions I had when I was doing. Again, I was just doing a little bit of research and I'm like looking at all these records and, you know, with the, with the In A Perfect World, right? Let's talk about yeah, that yeah. record because that was a worldwide success. It was massive, massive first album. Yeah. Um, for Codeline. When it because I know you had a bit of a hand in like maybe co-writes and stuff on there as well. No, I didn't have co-writes on that oh, album. No, okay. no, no, that's... That's uh, that's them boys. I wouldn't would never suggest well, that. Well, when you were making the record, yes, did you know? Oh yeah, completely. Like you get your spidey sense. It's happened to me only. It's happened to me a few times with certain songs, really, uh, and artists. You kind of know this is going to be huge. Like to to rewind even like a year or two before that album. That's when I was in the studio with the script. The script, yeah. And they were a brand new name. No gigs. No anything. And I remember being in Mark, he's the guitarist, in his his shed. And <laughs> we, they were putting down the vocals for We Cry. And like for anyone listening to it now, it's like, yeah, whatever. It's a, you know, it's a great pop song. But then there was nothing like that. Like, this no, is, it was brand this new. Is almost, yeah. This is almost on par. Yeah. I don't know if it was even before at the same time as like One Republic and stuff. So I remember just like Danny did this vocal and I was just like, I was in shock hearing this. I was literally in shock kind of going, what the fuck? Is this Irish? Like, what? What? I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, this is just, this is going to be huge. I was just like, I, I just remember going, this is just going to be a huge record, full stop. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's nothing I can do about it or anybody else. This is just going to yeah. be huge. And it was huge. I was <laughs> just like, holy God. And then, then a year later I was in with, like I was working with Coldline and they had a previous band name uh, for years. 21 so, Demands. 21 Demands. So I remember I was, well. So I was working with them for years, demoing every, every month. We, we did three or four songs a month until we had around 40, 50 songs or something crazy. And then we pretty much had the whole first record, you know, demoed, you know, before even uh, going over to London. And again, I just knew they were going to be huge. And then we went to studio, like, I, I was looking at a video last week of doing drums for, like, All I Want. And I remember going, this song is so weird. Now it doesn't <laughs> seem weird. No, it doesn't seem weird now. No, but like... I know, it's yeah, just, I know, I know what it's, you mean. It's a folk ballad that has an aggressive amount of emotion, you mm. know? And the, the drums, when I was watching Vinny playing drums on it, like he's, it's like he's playing in like Blink-182, like like as in the weight, like the the heaviness he's playing with is just like, it's more Led Zepp actually, like he was just like pounding, yeah. like I was just, holy Christ, like this is, it's, it's almost like the drums are screaming and then like, and then Steve's vocal is like, oh Jesus, you know, it's unreal. And so I remember recording that kind of going, I don't know what this is because it's not a pop song. It doesn't sound like something on BBC Radio 1 or 2FM, but it's going to be huge. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, you know? Yeah. And um, and that was a bizarre journey because while we are doing the album, that song got put out to go onto radio, but it was, I remember at the time the label were saying like, it was they're going to only aim it at like BBC Radio 4, I think is the station, and mm-hmm. kind of older stuff. And we're going to go to Communion Records and do some really cool little folky gigs. And then all of a sudden, BBC Radio 1 started playing it loads. Someone got it in BBC Radio 1, yeah. and they all started playing it. 
and then a few weeks later or months later it was on Grey's Anatomy big sync and yeah. the whole song like I think I could be wrong but they played like three or four minutes of the song yeah it was, like, it was a big, like a big like long can't ending. remember could have been yeah. you know Someone died. A lot of people died. A hamster was having <laughs> open heart surgery. <laughs> a lot of, a lot, like, I think it's just like a running joke where I think like just it, it's constantly people dying, like characters yeah. dying. And, and that's that when Grey's was, was huge. It was enormous. So that yeah, was, it was at its peak, There's no yeah. equivalent to it now, because that was 10 years ago, but there's no equivalent to it now. I know Love Island is a big place where music sync, but they're still not. But it's only is, small time. It's like you're only getting maybe 20, 30 seconds. Yeah, this was, this was fairly big. Like yeah. It's hard to explain industry-wise, how big that was because that show was pretty huge. And was that an anomaly? You, well, at the time, did oh, that completely. feel like an anomaly? Yeah, it was bizarre. We were we were in a studio in Wales when that was coming on and we're like, we're, we're in the middle of an album because we just needed to drop like this EP mm-hmm. which All I Want was on. It's just chosen as this kind of, yeah. you know, great song and two other album tracks on this EP and it came out and I was like, wow, this is this is doing what it feels like it should be doing. You know, this is, I knew it was brilliant, you know, and yeah, and then it was just, it went huge. Like we're still in the studio and even that year, I think 2013, Google did a, is it the Zeitgeist videos they used to do? This kind of like end of, I forget what they called it. I think it was called Zeitgeist and it was a wrap up of the year mm. in this one video and I had your man jumping out of from outer space um, uh, to Earth. Remember that? Uh, Red Bull. I jumped. do remember that. Yeah, that was 2013 and they used all I want for that, Jesus. like for that whole video. <laughs> and it was just like, and this was like a video that was getting a couple of million views mm. a day and it was just like, and we're all like, you know, trying to see do we have enough money to get a KFC bucket you know and go, what's going on here <laughs> there's a big disparity there yeah, yeah. it was yeah. just so yeah so just been part of like that script album and that code line albums and stuff it's just been yeah it's a good buzz yeah. it's a good buzz and it's, you do and you do know I think you do know when things are going to pop you know yeah it's what you strive for isn't it like it's those moments that you, you, you could only ever dream of as a kid you know completely and, and you do like with the production stuff, you do feel like a member of the band. You do feel like you're part of the artist. To you know, you're part of that. And I think that's another thing about production is you're really trying to help the artist with their identity and lock their identity into their music. And you can't help but feel integral to. Oh, completely. The, you know, yeah. you, there's, you there's really a part can't. of you in it somehow, somewhere. Mm. On certain projects, especially as well, you know, just different levels of emotional kind of commitment to every project, yeah. um, and involvement too. Just and, invo- on. and involvement, exactly. Yeah, some of them you really have to, you know, roll up the sleeves. And I was, it always feels like you're a carpenter. You know, this is a real cheesy analogy, but you're like you're building a boat for like six months in a warehouse, and then you set it off to sail. You say, you just wave at it as it goes off. And it's the same with records because you don't actually listen to them again with the same intent, with the same kind of. Um, bat ears trying to see what's going on mm-hmm. what happens is like three months later you're, you're getting your sausages and wedges in, in Centra and you're hearing it on yeah. the the internal Centra <laughs> the JC's uh, deli the, yeah. the, and you just hear it on the little radio and you're there in a queue kind of going and you're just like wow that was that was a great time you know really, yeah. really proud of that yeah. but then the important thing for me the essential thing about music is that music isn't your life uh, that's a big part because then those metrics of success and failures become inherently a part of your own life where music should be treated as something that you love but it isn't the be all and end all it's something that you adore Mm. love it's a part of you but there needs to be more meaning 
you know, to your own outer world yeah. to that so you can come to it and leave it as well. Yeah. So for me, like, I have, I have very little ambitions in music. <laughs> uh, incredibly little ambitions in music. Well, I mean, it's served you well so far, hasn't it? No, yeah, but what I mean is, <laughs> but, but maybe it serves it well because I don't really... Is it because, Do you think it's because it's like the, the stakes are so low that that makes it a lot easier for you to create? Um, possibly I just I just think it's not good for your head for any job that your job becomes your life yeah. because then it can become your identity like you that's see the w- I actually wanted to, that's the one word that you said there now that I really kind of wanted to focus on like it, yeah. it's hard to not let it become your identity sometimes because it can but it, it's, it, it, you're like thinking about it but and it, you're in it all the time you but know? it can be other people's identities whatever it just can't be your own I, for, for me it's just not healthy for it to be your identity you know yeah. so I'm either you know uh, I'm someone's husband I'm just someone, someone's dad you know and like if music is everything you just I don't know you can get in trouble you know psychologically and mentally um, because you will yeah. weigh up your successes and then that means how successful you are as a person or not. that's not very good no your successes not. in life should be what a good person you are or what you do and then and, and how you challenge yourself in that sphere and that also leads to better music because Hopefully, it leads to better music because you're, you know, you're psychologically and emotionally more available for the artists, you know, because you know you're less, your mind isn't on this kind of rubbish, your hamster wheel of of an industry. Mm. So I'm not a big fan of that. So I just rather, you know, love music, feel like a 13 year old, you know, young Phil when I listen to music and try and treat it like that every day. Yeah, um, and that's just how I kind of rock with it. And then I don't, as I said, I really don't care for. Um, Getting successes, my the success, as in normal successes, my the successes are the artist being happy and yeah. everybody being happy. And yeah, and if it does well, that is uh, that is a boost. That is a little drug. That's a little woohoo, daddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then that should be just like scoring a goal Secondary. in Sunday League football, yeah. you know. And like, yeah, that was deadly, you know. If you and if you lose the next match, oh, who cares, you know? It's just whatever. I'm the same. Like, and I think. You know, maybe that was something that kind of fed through by proxy when, you know, we started working together. What was really nice as well, and I don't know if you actually know, so I'm going to tell the story on mic. But um, I remember we met up at one stage and I can't remember what year it was. I'm going to say it was maybe six years ago, right? And it was, (laughs) I remember where we were and everything. We were in the car park outside Mr. Price mm-hmm. in Ashburn in Ashburn Industrial Estate and I said I just really want to do this Yeah, you know have you any advice and I remember you get you you were chatting away and you gave me plenty of advice and I was like this is great and I think I'm not sure if it was the next day or like two days later Um, I got a phone call and the phone call came at a great time right because at the time and I don't know if you're aware of this, maybe you were, but I had moved home from my house in Swords because I was quite unwell um, mm. mentally. And I was, it was just a very, very weird time in my life where I felt like that I was working a nine to five job and that was really getting on top of me. And I was kind of having a bit of an identity crisis on, on the back of that. And it was a very, very weird time. But I got the phone call from you. And you're like, what are you doing? And I was like, literally, like, 
lying on a camp bed in my sitting room <laughs> that I've been like staying on because my younger brother stole my old bedroom you know what I mean <laughs> so um, yeah yeah but then you're like what are you doing I said nothing he's like right I'm sending you an address how quick can you get here yeah. <laughs> and I was like I'll be there in 40 minutes yeah right and I was like Grant went there 40 minutes it was Steve's house yeah. from Code Line and that was my first ever production session I remember it very well yeah me too um, like it was yesterday genuinely like it was yesterday I passed that house all the time my white swords I'm just like wow I, I, this is how that all happened was you were showing me stuff that you're, you're doing and I thought you were incredibly talented I was actually worried about you when I met up with you yeah I, it, so, it, it was yeah it wasn't a good time you, but I, I don't think you're in a great place no I certainly wasn't I certainly wasn't but no. what I did know was I know I was able to like we can all impart wisdom but the problem is it's really hard to react to that and make yourself do things you know to better yourself or follow pathways to do things so I kind of did the classic you know you know where you'd you know where I'd meet up with a friend and go for a walk on the beach mm. I, I wanted to do that with you but in a, in a sonic way <laughs> so I brought but you to a beach it, it, so, it was, so, uh, it was but, a but, baptism but, of fire you know but, but it, was, it was that but also it was it was it was that was a but that was only uh, that was part of the reason the other reason was you're very talented and I was like I think you can add stuff to the to the song we're working on we mm. need someone who has these flavours mm. and uh, Mr. Shannon had them so um, uh, the good intent was also for for um, kind of exposing you to like how good you are and you can do this and walk in a room and you did you went in there and you were you know there was a fire in your belly and and that you, was yeah you were, you were brilliant in that session it was like the thing that like not to I, I don't want to add a whole lot of weight to it but it certainly like was a big wake up call in the sense of okay this is really where I'm at now this is really what I want to do because that like that was exactly what I needed and it kind of had to be that high stakes at the time in terms of like the obviously the level that you know Steve was at with Code Lion and mm. stuff at the time and for me kind of coming in as essentially entry level it was just like I can see where I can see where this can be and it was just like right well you know maybe I know what yeah. I am now and it's again it was like someone who was just like really interested in music and yeah. I loved it but it and, was and I, how I great is he to work with as well oh amazing yeah like it was just like the most straightforward process yeah. ever like it was so and he like it, again it was there was no ego in the room it didn't feel like there was any ego Zero. No. and yeah. he was like inc- so for someone who has such rudimentary ideas yeah from the perspective of someone who, you know, doesn't really have a whole lot of theoretical knowledge or whatever, I was just programming stuff just on the fly and what I felt was right. Yeah. And he was then trying to transpose it onto piano and it was just like this real yeah. alchemy and it was so back and forth and like nothing ever happened with it. But like for me, that Something process... still might though because it's a cracker of a song. <laughs> for me, for me, that process was invaluable. It was absolutely invaluable to where I am now and it like gave me that platform to yeah. say that... I know, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily like lose my identity in this, but I know exactly what I want to aim for. Exactly. And that kind of like ties it all back in. So, you know, it's without 
uh, the sum of all of its parts, like obviously, you know, I had an interest in it at the outset, but it certainly was you that were like, you kind of like just jimmied open the door a little bit for me to <laughs> take a peek and see what was on the other side, you know. Wake up! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, is you look, sometimes we all need just a tiny little nudge, you know. I've had people have nudged me mm-hmm. in different ways, like in, and it could be business, could be psychological, it could be like confidence building. I've had, I worked on uh, a few Aslan albums many years ago and those guys were so good to me. Mm-hmm. You know, in times where I was, you know, like uh, I lost my mother and they were just so amazing. Like uh, uh, Joe, Billy and Alan and Christian, like, you know, uh, times of kind of like confidence building and kind of forming who you are and working with other producers, like Jerry McDonald, who's been an amazing producer to work with and Steve Harrison and, you know, you, you know, every, like that's the whole thing. It's, it's to really help everybody along, you know, it's to drag everybody along until they can climb and run at this, you know, and decide to stay or leave, you know. So I think that's just part of the the great part of this industry, you know, because it is tough. It, it, it's multicolored. It's not black and white. No, and it's, it never will be. Ne- it can't be. Because uh, it's all, it's entirely human and it's it. based on like a human experience and there's no... And again, there's no formula for that, you know. And what again, is? like those, those, uh, that Steve session, like you just need, like that wasn't going to fix anything as such, but it just gave you, no, uh, it gave you a viewpoint of what can actually be part of your future and yeah. your present, as opposed to being the previous days present, which wasn't very good. No, you know. So, and my wife and I, years, we're, we're twenty years together, but we call that like an earthquake test, where you kind of <laughs> grab somebody by the shoulders almost and shake them a little yeah. bit. Like I don't mean like aggressively. You're kind of shaking them, going, "Come on, you can do this." You know, yeah. it's that little that little pep talk, which you know only gives you five minutes of a surge mm-hmm. before your your rational brain kicks in. But even that amount of kind of a little shake up for you of that day in session, I just saw a completely different human. I was just like, He's, yeah. Yeah, and it definitely like it. Like I said, it set me on the twisted uh, path uh, excursion <laughs> of uh, of a lifetime, you know. And here I am now. I'm like, this, uh, this is literally what I'm doing for a living now. And like, obviously, there's many different facets to it. And I think in this world, you do have to sometimes diversify your portfolio a little bit in terms of like what you can bring to the table. So oh, now I'm producing, mi- mixing, engineering. Do I do this podcast? And that's like one of the reasons like I think maybe subconsciously as well it was like one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast it's mainly because I want to like give the information back because it's you know because I had you do you know what I mean and that was great for me because I had you to as a sounding board even just and like as a contact to be like well I can if I'm looking for info on what you know this is where I can go but I want to kind of just give that back and yeah. kind of pay that forward. Exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing because it is um, a quagmire. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's quite a tough industry to know what is going on. And even sometimes you'll talk to people who are in the industry 20, 30 years mm. and ask them fundamental questions. They still might even know the answer. Mm. You know, there's, you know it's, some of it is quite complex and some of it is stupidly simple that's like just in front of our nose, you know. Mm. And it's trying to put all that together in a way that you understand is difficult but that's why stuff like this is, is quite essential and education and not be gatekeepers not be holding back stuff no. which nobody, is a nobody, bullshit no, like you, this is the whole thing like you know nobody learns and develops and then like it's just going to lead to more good music and you yeah. know a bit more knowledge maybe someone might figure out what they want to do with the rest of their life I mean that's massively 
sweeping and I don't mean that as in like I am going to be the oracle that tells you how to yeah, yeah, you know completely. or gives you the information but like maybe it might happen and that's great but look it's just part of a journey um, when people come in and come out and even if you leave the industry that's that's a success in itself because mm-hmm. a lot of people stay in the industry to a demise of themselves mm-hmm. so like I, I saw somebody very recently just shut down their studio because it's been just very tough with pandemic and so on yeah. and part of me was like on. God, he's so clever. Fair play. Like this person has got his shit together because he isn't going to like, you know, kill himself by dragging it through and it'll lead to something different and loop back or whatever. It's just, he's responding to what's going on because it is, it's it's so tough, you know, the kind of way. Yeah, no, it is. Um, but it's a wonderful world and we're very happy to <laughs> be a part a segue, of it. What a segue from doom to good to the Well, it is sun. though. You yeah, know, yeah. There is, there's a lot of, there, there is like, yeah, don't get me wrong, there's some dark parts of it, but like, as a whole, I think no, we're, no, no, we're all very happy to be it's here. It's a tough industry, but it's a beautiful uh, uh, source that we're dealing with. We're dealing with music and people and uh, I absolutely love it. I adore people and I think that's why like, even as a producer, as I said, I'm not a brilliant musician, I'm not a brilliant disc, like, but I do I have a huge amount of respect for humans and people and what they want to say and get that amplified. So if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably be doing psychology or talking to people or <laughs> yeah. working on the Coca-Cola hot, uh, hotline. Do you know the free phone number you used to ring when you were in school on the back of Coke bottles? I don't. Do you, mean, oh, you, you want to tell me about it? I used to ring 1800 whatever Coca-Cola and it's a, like a customer service thing. And I think they must have got phone calls from every mad bastards in the country every day so I'd be working there chatting to mad people you know here you know aliens right <laughs> yeah, yeah. but what I mean is you know it's 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 an industry based around humans and people yeah. and uh, I absolutely love it and it's um, and the Irish music industry is I think thriving at the moment it's again I've 20 years in this industry and I think it's at its very best like when I when I was in it 20 years ago you just had, I was going to say Westlife and Boys on, even I just, I've worked on the new Westlife album, they're still here and they're brilliant <laughs> and I love the guys, but there was only, there was only a few Irish, like there was one or two Irish pop artists and then there was a few indie artists yeah. and the indie artists weren't getting out of the country, well, you know. So, yeah, it's the, it's more diverse now than ever and, and, so, and it's diverse, but everybody is, is pushing hard and the quality. Exactly, the quality the, is massive. The quality yeah. is massive, like just at every kind of genre, like, like I found like, not that I found, like I found for me for the first time, like this uh, uh, young Ilan Piper stroke uh, whistle player, like uh, I think her name was Tara Hanley in County Clare. I was just listening to her yesterday on TikTok. I was like, God, she's amazing. And I've booked her now for a session next week. Amazing. And like, she's incredible. And then I was watching Late Late Show and uh, like uh, Susan O'Neill um, yeah. was singing and I'm just like, her voice is one of the best voices in the country. It's it incredible, just yeah. Blows me away, you know, the kind of way. And it's just so much. Um, and then, oh, I was listening to, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, is it Farah Ella? Farah Ella. Yeah. Farah Ella. And I just think she's amazing. Album, you know, yeah. it's just Great. like you know, the writing on it, the lyrics, her, her top line melodies. It's like she's killer. And it's just it's just a buzz at the moment, you yeah, know. It's it deadly. Is. It's It's phenomenal. And. I think we could find a better place to wrap up there but Phil thanks very much for coming on I appreciate it like I said this is something that this is one of the big ones for me so Ah. appreciate having you on and thanks for taking the time thank you brother you were meant to marry you just had to carry everybody
thanks so much to Philip for coming on the pod. It was very, very special to me, like I said. And um, I just want to hammer home the fact that I really wouldn't be here without him. Uh, I know he kind of was shaking his head at that saying, you know, ah, this, that, or the other. But genuinely, like, that was the impetus for me to take a left turn. And I did. And it's been a wild journey. Um, I feel kind of emotional even talking about it. I know it's a bit... Um, I don't want to be too cliche, but, it, it, you know, it really... It, it really meant a lot for Phil to sit down with me and just, you know, indulge me in, like I said, what is my essential uh, education exercise. But yeah, it was nice to revisit some of those memories, even though, there, you know, there were some that weren't so great. But um, at the same time, it, they led to a wonderful, wonderful life thereafter for me. And I'll be eternally grateful to Phil. I will. Um, that's just the fact and um, if you want to keep up with Phil and all of his antics he's a very very fun human being you can find him on Instagram at Philip McGee producer that's at Philip McGee producer and he's at Philip McGee on Twitter um, I think he's at Philip McGee producer on TikTok as well I could be wrong um, he also has um, the signal flow playlist that he updates every week with Alien Brophy himself and Alien um, himself and Alien do uh, curate that themselves and um, you can find all of those details at philipmcgee.ie um, and of course there's a little bit about him there and his entire discography and all the rest of it and all the details you might need if you want to find out a bit more about him email addresses and such if you're maybe looking to get in touch um, and I would highly encourage getting in touch with Phil because he is a master at his craft and it was really nice to be able to sit down with him on a human level and just kind of get to understand the process a bit more. Um, I learned a lot from him before and I learned a lot from him when I sat down to speak to him. So thank you again, Phil, and thank you, listener, for sticking out this long. It's a long L pod, but um, yeah, I think it was very pleasant. It was very pleasant to be in the conversation, obviously for me, you know, <laughs> so I'm very, very biased, but hopefully it was pleasant for you to listen to as well. So that's it from me. I'll be back next month with another deep dive into the music industry. Um, we're coming up on Christmas time now, so this could be the last one for the year in November, but um, I might surprise you. You never know. Um, so do stay tuned. Like I said, um, No Encore comes out every Friday. Dave and Craig do their deep dives and their top fives. Um, and it's phenomenally enjoyable. Like even still, I enjoy listening to it. I kind of get a bit of a kick because, you know, I am a listener to the podcast first and foremost. Um, so I feel like I'm maybe the one person who gets to listen to the podcast a day earlier, two days earlier, whatever, every time. Um, and yeah, we always have uh, the odd guest on. Obviously, Neil Dexter was on last Friday's episode. That was great. Thanks, Neil, for coming into the studio. It was really nice to finally meet you in person. And, you know, I've, I've, I've felt like we've kind of crossed paths a handful of times. But yeah, really nice to meet him properly. Um, and speaking of which, Neil Dexter's album, I'll Be Ready, came out there uh, two weeks ago. So um, do go and get a vinyl if you can um, support the man, the album is great. Produced by friend of the show, David Tapley as well. Um, yeah, just all in all a great time. Um, but yeah, like I said, tune in for next month's Hit subscribe on your podcast feed to make sure you get everything in your feed the day it comes out. No Encore comes out every Friday before the Encore. It's the last Monday of every month. And we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash noencore. Please do um, show some love if you think we're worth it and uh, if not you know we would ask just that you 
tell a friend about the show and um, we do appreciate you listening so thank you so so much I've been Sonic Architect Adam there will be no encore but I'll be back next month Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.